You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In season six, educators discuss student-centered curriculum with Janoj Cotter. So glad to have you with us here today for the OEA Grow podcast. Um, again, my name is Janoj Cotter. I'm an educator in Eugene, Oregon for 4J Schools and a proud uh, EEA OEA member and am interviewing folks during this season of the podcast about student-centered curriculum and student-centered learning opportunities. Could you just briefly um, let us know your name and where you work? Um, my name is Kara Olson, and I am a kindergarten teacher at Letitia Carson Elementary in Corvallis. Awesome. So glad to have you with us, Kara, today. And could you tell us a bit about yourself and the different roles or uh, that you've served uh, for Oregon students in? Um, yes. So my name is Kara again. I was born and raised in Southern Oregon in a small town called Klamath Falls. I'm the youngest of six children, and all of my siblings are educators, either principal administrators or teachers. Um, My dad was an elementary principal his whole career. Um, Before teaching elementary school, I worked in parent education for over a decade. I taught parent-child classes through the community college here, and then I went over to OSU and worked in a program doing something similar with a nutrition focus. So the big background and working with the whole family. Um, This is my sixth year teaching kindergarten in the Corvallis School District. I taught in Spanish for the first two years at Lincoln Elementary in their dual immersion program. And this is my fourth year at Letitia Carson Elementary. And I am the mom of three kiddos. I have a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And I love singing. I love making music. I love being in nature. I think people who know me well know that I love pretty much everything that I do a lot. I get pretty excited easily. Um, I'm very passionate about being a teacher. And I think that because of my background working with families, I'm especially passionate in the, the collective family and nurturing the whole child and all parts of the child. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that intro. And yeah, that's a really broad perspective to, to bring having worked with families for so long before uh, entering the classroom with uh, kindergartners and um, I did not know that you uh, were also Spanish proficient, and that's um, just a tremendous asset to not only have, but also be able to build the confidence and um, sense of connection to family for a lot of your students, I bet. Yeah, well, it's really funny because the school that I'm at now, I actually really wish that I spoke Arabic <laughs> because I have a lot more Arabic speaking families at the school that I'm at now than I have Spanish speaking families, but. It's fun to show and model for them, learn that I'm, I'm a language learner too. We're all language learners. So in kindergarten, there's a lot of new things to learn, so. Yeah, cool. I love that perspective. Well, I wanted to ask you about your experience as a student in the classroom going through uh, K-12 schooling, and maybe you wanna comment on where you received your K-12 schooling. With that, did you find yourself being reflected in the curriculum? Did you find yourself being connected to by the curriculum? What examples come to mind of how that did or did not work for you in your own schooling experience? Uh, well, it's funny to look back. That's a good question. It's a funny to look back and 
try to think about, you know, now in my 40s, like what even stands out to me thinking about my own education. And for me, I grew up in a in a very small farming community. And I think for me, a lot of I probably was reflected in a lot of the curriculum. And I and I think that um, a lot there were students who definitely were not reflected in the curriculum in our small town. Um, but I think even just on an individual level, it's just really funny for me, like to remember what the things I remember, like I can still recite any song where the content was taught through a song in elementary. That was exactly how my brain learned. So I still remember all those songs. I remember, um, I remember anything creative that we got to do. I remember any plays that we put on or plays that we got to write or those are the kinds of things for me that re- that that is how I engaged and learned. So anything creative is what I remember. Um, I remember my fifth grade teacher telling me that I would be the first woman president and really like trying to drill that into me. And so far, I am not the first woman president, but it's not too late, actually. Um, not at all. Yeah. No, I yeah, I think. I think I was one of the people that kind of just fit into the system pretty easily, honestly. So, well, it sounds like reflecting on that, you have an awareness of how that might not inform what you would want to do in the classroom because you are looking to be inclusive of identities and learners that may not fit that mold as well. But at the same time, there are all these super cool creative activities that probably do uh, continue to serve your students well or do continue to inspire you in in ways to serve your students well. Do you want to offer any reflections on that about how you're kind of, how you're kind of maybe trying to break the mold of what you found yourself growing up within to be more inclusive or how you're trying to use the best of what you grew up with to inform your current practice? Yes. I mean, one thing I really got from my childhood is you really remember specific teachers who nurtured relationships, and those are the teachers you remember. So that's one thing, of course, I think for almost all educators, like the parent or the um, teacher-child relationship, and actually the parent-teacher relationship for me is really, really important too. Um, I think this is something, I think sometimes parents walking into a class or even other educators don't maybe understand all the intention and everything certain teachers do, and it seems like it's just something you do, but I put a lot of thought into things, um, even down to just all of the books that I have in my classroom. Um, I really try to have the books in my classroom be respective of the demographic of students that I have, of different kinds of family situations. Um, I, I mean, I have students, I've had, I've had students in my class with in the past with parents in prison and different family circumstances and different cultures and, um, and so it's really important to have as much broadness of um, what's out there represented in the literature that they see, so they see themselves. Um, we, a partner teacher and I discovered first, um, first Book Marketplace a couple of years ago, and it's a really affordable way for teachers at um, Title I schools to acquire really affordable, diverse books. So I'm a little bit like have a problem with wanting books all the time from there now. Um, so I think the books is one way. Um, and I also think that knowing this, the student interest in their backgrounds, I mean, I need to know what languages they speak in their home. I need to know um, what holidays they celebrate in their families. I need to know um, just their own particular interest and what they're excited about. Um, 
you know, some kids are very um, tactile learners and I need to know that at the beginning to know how I'm going to incorporate that in my classroom. Um, there was a few years ago where I had a student who was obsessed with babies and she was an only child, but she just talked about babies. She, all she did was draw pictures of babies. She wanted to read books about babies. And so um, when our class we had kind of earned, um, we earned a party of some kind and we were talking and discussing what kind of party we would want to earn. And she insisted that it be a baby party. And I'd never thrown a baby party, so I didn't really know what I would do to throw a baby party, but it kind of evolved into this. It was one of the most magical days of kindergarten. We had the kids, um, the parents sent us pictures of them when they were all babies. And then we wrote in Spanish about what they could do when they were a baby, what they can do now. We ate all sorts of different kinds of baby food and graphed the ones that we liked. We had different guest speakers come, including some of the families in my class, come in as like guest speakers with their babies and just they just watch their babies and ask. In part of our report card standards is about kindergartners being able to ask questions. Um, and so asking questions and preparing to ask to the parents of the babies. It was just such a hilarious day. It was so funny. And I have never since thrown a baby party because I've never had a student since who's obsessed with babies. So every year you just kind of adapt and you roll with whatever your students are into. So there are some things for sure as teachers, obviously, with your curriculum and things that you repeat every year. But then there's some things that every class is so unique that you just it's so fun to roll with it and get to know the interests and the cultures of your own students each year. So. Absolutely. No, that's a great story and um, a wonderful example of something that, you know, uh, it's, it's easy to imagine a teacher being like, I don't really know how that's going to work or making, making up all sorts of what might seem like perfectly reasonable rationalizations not to have a baby party and being like, of course, we're going to have a baby party. I just need to figure out how. It was so fun. Yeah. Any, every, every kind of party's fun. So, <laughs> um, well, You've, you've definitely touched on aspects of how your practice is student-centered. Um, for me, in my background as a social studies educator and bringing in current events and civics topics quite a bit at the secondary level, things that have come up a lot in my classroom are centered on um, place-based, ethnic studies, climate change sorts of connections. And I'm wondering, do those topics come up in your class and what if so, what does that kind of look like at the kindergarten level? Yeah, I love this question. And it really is so fun, like seeing the difference between how you would address these topics in kindergarten versus high school, because they still have a place in all parts of education, I think. Um, so place-based, it's been really cool. Um, Letitia Carson is a new name to our school and, and the namesake of our school. And the kids have been learning a lot about a lot about Letitia Carson and the older kids have gone on field trips to the land she had over um, in Northwest Corvallis. And in kindergarten, Letitia Carson was also a farmer and a gardener. So as a person who kind of heads up the school garden this spring, we're going to learn more about Letitia Carson and farming. We have a whole farm unit anyway. So this is so cool that we get a um, bring Letitia Carson into the conversation um, and um, plant some of the, like camas and things in the garden that were things that were more native that she would have planted in the 1800s. Um, so that's really cool. And then I also, I think this applies to every age, but I think particularly in kindergarten, there's so much magic and awareness of the world around them. They notice everything, they stop, they touch everything. And so 
doing place-based learning. It's cool to learn about jungles and ocean and stuff like that, but it's more pow powerful, in my opinion, to teach them about the world around them. Um, so we do, um, w with the farm unit too, we also, we incubate chicks in our classroom to go with that. We, um, we learn about farms. We'll do the Letitia Carsa thing, um, unit. We go on a field trip to the farmer's market. And this is kind of our end of our year singing performance. The kindergartners sing at the farmer's market. They go on scavenger hunts. The library comes and does a story time at the market. The environmental center comes and does a station for the kids. Um, last year for the first time, it was one of the best days of teaching ever. We went on a field trip to Finley Wildlife Refuge and the kindergartners all put on their rain suits and we had different stations. They dissected owl pellets. They got to experience, like look for newts in the pond. They got to look for water bugs and water samples. It was so fun. And there's all these different habitats within the hike we went on. There's the pond, there's like the upland prairie. So we got to learn about all of those areas before we went on the field trip so the kids could identify before we went, even came, they knew what all of the plants were and animals that they would see. Um, and that is something, I mean, families can go there with their kids and get excited about that after our field trip. Um, and then my students also spend um, their last recess every day in the garden with me. And because it's recess time, we go for other times where we are more like focused on lessons and planting. But because it's recess, I let it be pretty open-ended of what they do. Um, the other day, we opened up the compost to throw in more of the food from our classroom, and um, there were hundreds of worms. And we had not opened that particular bin for a long time, and the kids just lost their minds, and their whole recess was just touching worms and putting the worms throughout the garden to help the soil. And, I mean, it is – you can never even – I can't even anticipate what they're going to be excited about each day when they go out because everything changes in the environment. Um and then on a bigger picture, I am the sustainability coordinator for my school. Every school here has a, a sustainability coordinator. And um, my principal and I also wrote a grant this year to get some extra funding. Um, so this spring, I will host, starting next week, actually, I will host a green team for third to fifth graders. I think I have about 26 kids signed up. And then in the spring, I'll do 75, I'll teach five, 75 kids in the garden, um, in different sessions, doing art and music and planting and science and just kind of incorporate as much as we can out there. So they're really going to have a big focus on reducing waste and compost this year, too. So they'll help all of the other teachers in the school compost. They'll empty their bins for them, wash them out, put them back. And yeah, so I just, I mean, the and it's really interesting to me because some of the kids who struggle the most behaviorally just this is a chosen activity for them. So kids just, I don't really have behavior issues when I do these programs because it's a chosen activity and the kids love it and they feel like they're part of something bigger. It's really, really cool. That is super cool. That's pretty inspiring, actually. And um, I'm curious, do, uh, do indigenous plants or um, historical uses of indigenous plants or indigenous uses of the land come up in your kindergarten? Um, that will, that will come up. I mean, in, in far, as far as gardening, you know, we're always talking about just like the basic, like what's in season right now. But I think that is going to be the really cool opportunity with Letitia Carson when we incorporate her into our unit. Um, because right now we don't have camas in the garden. We don't have some of the things that she would have planted. So we're going to make sure 
that we study what they would have planted at that time in Oregon. And the camas plant is a big indigenous plant in this area. So yeah. yes, that is like, I am kind of evolving with the kids in all of this, so. Sure, no, I totally appreciate that. Um, one resource, and I'm happy to, to dig it up and dig it up, going back to our gardening like talk. Garden. Um, I'm happy to look, look up this resource about the Kalapuya Wheel of the Year. And um, as I recall, it's based more around eight sections of the year as opposed to the Gregorian 12 sections of the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Camus is, and the different things that Camus is doing at different times of year is like really central to how the concept of the year and seasons is, is broken up. So I'll look for that and send it. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I would love that. Cool. Well, this uh, next couple questions kind of have you think back on your career in education so far. And um, the first part is thinking about just how you have grown in your own sense of your ability, capacity to provide student-centered learning, student-centered uh, experiences. And what are some examples that come to mind of um, how you have grown in that? Yeah, well, I think I, because I started teaching a little bit later in life in public schools, I think I kind of had a background that kind of had me centered on that already when I came in, where that might be a little bit different from someone starting, you know, maybe in their early 20s. But um, but the thing about being a teacher, and I, and I see this in the teachers I admire the very most who have been my mentors, is teachers also should be the best learners and just always open to growing and evolving. And we, it's hard not to get stuck in some ways. And, you know, we're principled in certain areas, but then also being open that there's areas where we can always make growth too. I certainly have many areas that I can make growth in. But um, I, when I thought about, when I thought about this question, I think that the biggest thing that stood out to me in my teaching career so far is I'm sure every single teacher in the country could relate to this right now was just how we had to adapt during um, COVID. And at first, you know, realizing I would have to teach um, kindergarten on via Zoom just felt like laughable almost because of the nature of what kindergarten is like. It just felt kind of like an impossible task. Um, but my partner teacher in time at the time and I really worked together to think about how to make this the best experience possible for students and families. And I actually, I mean, there were parts of COVID like my own kids being in school, I mean, being in school that while I taught, that was very stressful. But in regards to me teaching on Zoom, it was actually really fun. I could not believe how fun it ended up being um, because my my amazing coworker and I, we just kind of got inspired and channeled into how to make, like we could be, the challenge of making this meaningful for the kids was actually really fun. Um, so one thing we started with doing at the beginning of the year, we just got this idea that we would ask each of the students, their families, what their child's favorite animal was. And then we found, we kind of like scrapped together resources and funds um, to buy every kid in the kindergarten a stuffed animal of their very favorite animal. And um, so, and then we had a kindergarten fairy deliver the animals to their houses right before school started at nighttime. Wow. And so when the kids woke up, they had their favorite animal and it, that was their learning buddy because they didn't have their peers with them. That was their learning buddy for the year. And we did a lot of modeling of how their learning buddy needed to sit in Zoom and how their learning buddy needed to have their listening ears on and 
it's so cute. Uh, the, some of the, a lot of those kids who, you know, I had a couple of years ago via Zoom, they still have their animals. That's like their best, their little best friend. And I think um, that just kind of got us going and like how we could make Zoom. Just, we did a lot of cool things. Like I had on Valentine's Day, the families wrote, or the kids wrote poems about what love is. And then I gave the challenge that if any family members wanted to write a poem too, they could share their poem. So we had grandparents from different parts of the country on our Zoom reading their poem. And it's so cool because in normal teaching pre-COVID, I would have never, ever thought to have grandparents, you know, on the screen with the with sharing their poems. And I had a little girl in my class from India and we were talking about money like pennies and nickels in kindergarten. And she was really excited and wanted to show us Indian money. And then what she really wanted her grandpa in India to zoom in with us so he could tell us all about money and show us. So then we were like zooming into India, talking to her grandfather. And it was, it was so meaningful and fun and um, so now I've been incorporating. So now I just, it's going to be Valentine's Day soon. So I just put out the challenge for families. If any grandparents or family members, they can zoom into our class now, even though we're back in person. Um, so I, I really think there were some parts of Zoom where it was essential that we connect and understand the, I mean, we could literally see into their houses and what they were doing every day. So um, yeah, it was really a beautiful thing. We, my coworker and I would take turns making a story time each night for the families pre-recorded with songs and stories. And so the kids could watch those at their bedtime, just trying to figure out just all the ways that we could kind of make um, learning fun and engaging in a way that wasn't going to cause a lot of stress for families. So, Yeah, no, that all sounds really special. And I don't know that the acronym SEL was going through your mind when you were putting a lot of that together, but there's a lot of incidental and embedded SEL woven through all of that in all sorts of really wonderful ways. So thank you for sharing those examples. Okay. Well, uh, kind of one last question to um, wrap this up. And you mentioned um, having had a variety of roles in education outside of your current positions. So feel free to think about this as, as broadly as you like. But if you were going back in time, trying to mentor your pre-service teacher self, your early career teacher self, what kind of advice might you give to that younger Kara? Um, well, one thing that I would say that has been essential for me is to have mentors that are steady mentors in your life that you can always check in with. I have teacher mentors. I have a retired kindergarten teacher mentor who just, when I'm feeling discouraged about different parts of education and I meet with her and talk to her, have lunch with her, it just always recenters me on, because the small picture in education will continue to change. The curriculum will change, the expectations. It kind of even feels like it goes in cycles sometimes of like, okay, now this era is coming back to education. Things change. But the big picture doesn't change of what we want for kids. And I think talking to mentors is really helpful in resetting you back in what your intentions are. And all the daily, all the daily stress in teaching, just I kind of bring myself back to like serving my students and their families is my job and doing the very best job I can. And all the other stuff, yes, you want to, you know, you want you go to all of your meetings. There's all these changes being implemented all the time, but like when it feels overwhelming, just going back to the core of like, I am here to serve students and their families and to do well, do right by them. And that's really centering for me to come back to that. Um, 
And I think that um, your own passions should really be reflected in your classroom. I think it's a real shame if at any level, if students don't understand what their teacher is passionate about, I feel like you should be able to ask a student, like, what does your teacher love or what's your teacher really into? And I feel like students should be able to answer that question because um, you can get, I mean, I don't know how to, I didn't, I do, I have my own teenagers and I don't teach high school, but I feel like at the kindergarten level, you can literally get them excited about anything. Like it's, actually hilarious sometimes how like all I have to do is say oh my gosh you guys we are about to do something so crazy and right there they don't even care what I say next it can be like that we're doing addition it doesn't matter what I say next they're like hooked in it so just sharing your own excitement and then I also think you can't teach well if you don't know your students and their interests and what really motivates and drives them too I have this year, I think of all years, I have some really active little boys in my class this year. And we, I mean, I have to do as much hands-on learning as I can this year because it's the way their behavior is very different when we're doing hands-on learning versus when we're just asking them to sit for long periods of time. So, um, and those same little boys turn into teenagers who also still have a lot of need for movement and hands-on learning too. So it's not just a kindergarten thing. Um yeah, I think there's just, I think the the mystery and the question always in education is how do you find balance between addressing like the curriculum and expectations of what the school is asking you to do and being thoughtful about letting the students help guide their experiences too. And um, yeah, every class is very different. And I think as teachers, you all know what the end of the year standards are and goals. And so, I mean, every teacher knows where they're trying to take their kids but I just really firmly believe that every year you're not going to take them there in the exact same way. You're going, you're going to have flexibility and, um, and it's fun. I mean, it's, it's takes extra work to teach that way. And it can be exhausting sometimes because, and sometimes I try things. I'm like, this is going to be so fun. And then I have things and then they turn out really not fun. They aren't good. <laughs> like sometimes I have bad ideas and then I readjust, but I just think that, um, I don't know, making your year as meaningful as you can. And, I guess even on a little bit of a selfish note, like this is a really hard job and I want to have fun too. Like I want to have fun here with the students and I want to feel fulfilled too. Like I'm making a difference and that I'm really like giving them a foundation of just being like learners who are excited about school. And then I'm handing them off to the first grade teachers, just super excited about being here. So, um, and I, yeah, and I like to have fun too. So sometimes that's what I, I'll tell them when we have periods where, the students are having harder behavior issues and I have to really kind of tighten up. I'll be like, you guys, come on. Like, I want to have fun. We can't do the fun things that I want to do until we learn how to walk in line or until we learn. So I think, um, I think making school as joyful as possible. And it doesn't mean you have a party every day. It doesn't mean you have to do these over the top things. It's just really recognizing and being mindful of who your students are and honoring that, I think, in the way you teach. I think that's a really beautiful note for us to be wrapping up on thinking about how, you know, our own joy and our own sense of having fun gets impacted by, by the students. And we can draw attention to that and we can advocate for ourselves and it might actually help them realize, oh yeah, you need to have fun too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Love that. Well, thank you so much, Kara. It has been such a pleasure getting to hang out with you. And um, uh, I, I think, um, all of your students and families must feel really lucky to have you. 
Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.